0: Let's keep our head bowed in prayer before God. Oh Lord, how great you are. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be in your presence this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for salvation in Him. Thank you for life in Him. Thank you for hope in Jesus Thank you because without you, Lord, we are nothing. We have nothing. And we go nowhere. Lord, this morning we just want to continue in the same minding as we just sang. We need you. We need you so much. Yesterday's grace was enough for yesterday. We need your grace right now for today, Lord cannot do this on our own Lord we cannot we cannot continue to follow you in this world on our own strength with our own wisdom with our own, our own plans we need you Lord father this morning I pray that you will like you did with with Liji in the Bible that you will yourself open our hearts to receive your word as truly it is, as the Word of God. Yes. Father, we pray for your glory to be what we are looking at this morning. We, we want you to take the center place in this, in this church. We don't want it to be man-centered, but God-centered. Yes. And again, we come before you in humility. We come before you needy. In asking you, Lord, please do it again. Lord, please teach us how to pray. Because uh, without prayer, we are dead. It's true. So, Lord, be glorified in this place this morning, be honored by our hearts, and change us because only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Amen, church. Please, you can be seated. We will be in the book of Ephesians this morning. So, if you have a Bible, just open it in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand, and someone will be uh, pleased to give you a Bible so we can follow with us. It's so important. We don't want to uh, talk and preach about our own. Uh, dreams and our own vision, but about the Word of God. Amen, church? Amen. Ephesians chapter six. It's such a, a pleasure to be here again this morning. Such an honor for me to to come and visit the church in Ottawa, it's such a, uh, it's like home. It's a second family to us. And like Pastor Ray says, he's a good friend of mine, precious friend. And uh, we talk about prayer this morning, and I don't know if I know anybody who pray as much as my friend Pastor Ray for me and my family every time we talk with them. So it's an honor to come here and open the Word of God and look at what the Word tells us about prayer, Ephesians chapter 6. We have a a lot to cover this morning, so let's jump right into our message. It's Jesus, like we heard many times this morning, who says... My house shall be called a house of prayer. It's the disciples when they were walking with Jesus who didn't ask Jesus to teach them to do miracles or to heal, heal lepers or to walk on water, but they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. It's the, the first church in Acts 2 that we see in this chapter, the first church and the four things they were doing, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. It's the apostle Paul who says, pray without ceasing. It's Martin Luther who said this, buckle your belt. (laughs) He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. It's the Scottish pastor, Robert Murray McShane, who said, if you want to humble a man, ask him about his prayer life. So I'm asking you this morning, how's your prayer life? What is your prayer life? What what does it look like right now? The other thing I want to ask you is, do you begin to feel humbled? (laughs) Because I am. I truly believe that we need to be encouraged in prayer often in our life. So often, I know I need to. This morning, we'll be looking at a text that is so uh, important to us in our church family in Ephesians 6. But uh, before I start, I know that many have said that listening to a sermon on prayer makes them feel like a failure. And let me tell you something right off the bat as I start. Preaching a sermon on prayer makes me feel like a hypocrite. Why do I say that? Because as I was preparing this message this week, the Lord was just pointing a area in my life that I need to change. He was just reproving me in so many ways in my prayer life. And at the same time encouraging me. And my prayer this morning is the same, is that you will not leave this place with a guilty heart. But as children of God, that you will be encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Yes, convicted. Yes, sometime, sometimes it's hurt. But that you, you will leave this place with a heart full of renewed affections for the Lord. Amen. So Ephesians 6 verse 18 is the verse that we will be looking at. And it says praying, praying at all times. It says that we should be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is a key verse, a verse that you need to, to learn by heart, that you need to memorize. Because a praying life can be uh, shortly defined in that little verse. And, and, and today, we want to look at what Paul has to say about prayer. How we are supposed to, 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 to be living a life of prayer. The, the, the center of this text that we have in front of us, we'll go to verse uh, 10 to uh, 20 this morning uh, quickly. But the, the center, the, the main thing in this verse is Paul saying to us that we need to stand firm against all the evils that are in front of us. We need to be standing firm against the power of the enemy. And he's showing us that it's impossible to do that without prayer. Absolutely impossible. So before we jump into verse 18, we need to see the context in which this verse has been given. It's so important because you will not understand the importance, the urgency of prayer if we do not understand the context in which this verse has been given. So look with me. We'll read verse 10 to 13 this morning uh, to start with. The the first thing I want you to see is that uh, it's a praying life's adversary. That without prayer, we are dead. You probably hear that often in this church. Without prayer, we are truly dead. Let's see what verse 10 to uh, 13 is saying here. Paul is, is telling the church, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. To stand firm. I don't know if you begin to get the the gist of the the passage here. What is he talking about exactly? If there's one thing to understand in this little three verses. Is that there is powers working against us. If you are a children of God. If you are born again. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ. There's one thing that is really clear. We are in a spiritual warfare. We cannot discuss that. Just in, these, uh, two passage, just in these two verses, verse 11 and 12, we have six times the word against. You know, when there's repetition, when you read your Bible at home and there's repetition, you need to have a, a bell that, that rings. Okay, there's something that the Holy Spirit wants to tell me here. Against, 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 against. We are in a spiritual battle. We need to understand that, or we won't understand the importance and the urgency of prayer. So we don't, have to, we don't have time this morning to go into details in everything in this text, but the thing I want to point out is that the Christian life is a war. And the child of God are actively engaged in that war. I know that you're beginning to think, yeah, but Jesus, didn't he defeat the evil one? Did Jesus conquer death and evil and sin? Yes, totally. We need to understand that we, we, we switched team at some points in our life when we met Jesus. And to show that to you, I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 8. I will read it quickly to you. But you will see what happened in our life. Because before we were working with the evil forces, we were in the same team. So there was no struggle, no wrestling with these forces. Because they were our partners, you know. So here in chapter 2, you see how it goes. It says in verse 1, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following what? following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's what we were before Jesus. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, Amen? We need to understand that we were following the prince of the power of the air, but Christ happened. And when Christ came and died on the cross in our place, when he took our sin on himself, when he paid the penalty that we were deserving, he transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his Son. And now we we switch So there's a reality we need to understand because sometimes it's hard for us to say, what's our relationship with the evil forces? Are we still struggling with sin or we are totally uh, delivered from it? When we talk about salvation, we need to understand there's three tenses, always. The past, the present, and the future. We have been saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. We have been saved. So we have been freed from the condemnation of sin. That's what we call justification. We are being saved from the power of sin. That's what we call sanctification. And we will be saved from the presence of sin and darkness and all of its power. That's what we call glorification. So yes, Jesus has conquered all evil, the demons and all of this. But right now, it's still a real battle against them. There's still a war that is waging against the children of God. And it's true. And that's what Paul is pointing out here in the text. So down here four times, we still have struggle against that. And we still are in a fight. But Paul is telling us here in the text, look, look with me, that we are wrestling, verse 12. For we do not wrestle. There, there's something important. There's, there's effort. There's strength. There's Sweat. We need to know that we are in that war. You know, C.S. Lewis said that the, the, the greatest thing that the devil is able to do or has done is to make people think that he doesn't exist and that he's not there anymore. Because you think you don't take care of him when you think that. We are still in a fight. It's so important. John, John Piper said this rightly. He said, until we understand that life is war, we won't know what prayer is for. And that's true. So here, Paul is telling us who is fighting against us exactly, exactly. And it's not—it's not pretty. I I put a list here um, for you. There's an enemy. There's something um, very clear here. It's not—it's not pretty at all. Look, he says that we are fighting against the schemes of the devil. Like our enemy is organized, is planning against you. It's just not improvising. We are wrestling not against flesh and blood. That means it's not against human power we are fighting. That means we cannot use human power to fight back. He talks about the rulers and authorities. Some uh, theologian here, Arsis Pro, says that it's talking about maybe some ranking among uh, evil angels, demons that are, have fallen with the, uh, Satan. He talks about cosmic powers over this present darkness. Cosmic powers over this present darkness. Darkness, so it's not just that there's powers against us, but we are living in a prison darkness. Our world is even against us as the children of God. He talks also about the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When we talk about spiritual forces, we talk about an army. There's many, many of them against Christian. And lastly, he talks about um, the flaming darts of the evil one. Flaming darts. You know, when I read this, I see the, I don't know what it's called in English, but the, you know, you throw some darts at someone. It's very sneaky. Spit, no, uh, darts. Anyways, you know what I'm talking about. He's just saying that the, the devil is really sneaky in how he's attacking us. His goal is not to come and say, hey, here I comes. I am the devil. Do you want to play with me? No. He's really sneaking how oh, he's operating. The, the Bible tells us that he's disguising as an angel of lights. So we need to understand this. The last thing he says is when he's talking about the armor of God. He, s- he says that we must be able to stand firm in the evil day. Brothers and sisters, the day is evil. You don't need to... to look far to understand that. You almost need to be blind to not see that the day is evil right now. I mean, honestly, a pastor gets arrested in the street because he preached the love of God. Not screaming at people because he preached the love of God and he gets arrested and we we see him as a bad person. But we are cheering and celebrating people screaming with rage at Chick-fil-A customers. You know, you know the day is evil when you look at your culture and your society and the majority of people around you are cheering or are even full of rage against people who are protecting the weak, little, unborn babies. There's something wrong with that. The day is evil. People and the Christians are not the most popular people in the world. So I see your face right now. I see, yeah, Eric, you you want to encourage us to pray. It's not very encouraging. (laughs) You're not very uh, telling us things that cheers us up. We have enemies. We uh, We have not the power to conquer them. We are not strong enough. That's the whole point. That's the whole reason why prayer is so important. I want each one of us, me included, to understand that we cannot do this on our own. Paul is telling, us, he is telling us, you need to stand firm against the schemes of the evil one. <laughs> How will you do that? Cosmic powers? What kind of gift do you have to fight back against that? So the, the goal of the enemy is to get you to be inactive. Inactive in the work of the Lord. Even this morning, to be so distracted with all kinds of things that you don't receive the word of God. It was such a struggle preparing for this morning. Because I know... You know, I know that prayer is so key to the Christian life. That everything is waging war against that. Your flesh, the world, the devil, everything. I talk with pastors from around the world. I talk with pastors from everywhere. I talk with pastors that are in the ministry for six months. And pastors that are in the ministry for 50 years. And each one of them have the same speech. We are still struggling with our prayer life. Why? Because there's much opposition. So is it important this morning to listen to what the Bible has to tell us about prayer? The goal of the enemy is to get you to be inactive in the work of God, to put you asleep in your relationship with Him, is to make you doubt the goodness of God, to keep you occupied with so many distractions that you won't be of any use for the glory of God. He wants to lead you into sin and then accuse you and make you feel so guilty that you will not run to your father in prayer, but you will run far from him because you will see him as, a, as an angry judge instead of seeing him as your lovely father. The enemy is opposed to the way of life. You know, here when you look at verse 10, he starts this, um, this argumentation with finally. Why? Because he spent five chapters talking about the way a child of God must live. He talks about theology, what we should believe, and what, and how we should live it out. And here, he arrived at the end saying, finally, finally, don't get me wrong. You cannot do that on your own. The enemy, there's enemies. There's powers that are against you believing those things and living those things. So you need to be equipped against that. What's the, what is the equipment exactly? Charles Bergen said about this. Restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright. Paul wants us to understand that, that to be able to stand firm against the enemies, we need the whole armor of God. We won't go through the whole armor of God this morning. We don't have time for that. But it's one thing that if missing this whole armor is useless... There's one thing that if you do not have that, the whole armor of God serves nothing, and that's prayer. That's why I arrived here at verse 18 saying, after uh, telling, take this and take that, and you need to stand firm in this way. And verse 18, and don't forget praying at all times. That's what gives the power to the whole armor of God. It's simple you cannot fulfill the Christian mission, you cannot grow in Christ. You cannot have a healthy relationship with God. You cannot know His love and power. Nothing apart from prayer. It's that important. We can do our Christian duty, even come to church. But if we don't live a praying life, it's worth nothing. You know, the the reason why Christ died on the cross was to reconcile us to God. To bring us back into a healthy relationship with God. God as our Father. So the thing that that is the hardest and that the, the enemy is most against is prayer and connecting with Him. But Paul knows that prayer and a praying life don't fall on us automatically. He knows that a praying life doesn't just happen one day. I don't know if you can... Lift your hand this morning and say, you know what, Eric, you're wrong. Because one day I I got up in the morning and I was just, from that moment on, I just continued to pray all day. Never struggle in any of that. And it just happened, you know. It never happened this way. I'm sorry. But a praying life comes from discipline. And that's what verse 18 is all about. So we need to be fighting in prayer. But in order to do that, we need to be fighting for prayer remember this we need to be fighting in prayer but to do that we need to be fighting for prayer and that's our main point without discipline we are done let's be honest praying life is dependent upon discipline and paul gives us here the blueprints in the verse and and, and this is the verse from uh we don't say pillar now how you call that? Distinctives. So fervent prayer. That's the verse part. You need to learn that verse by heart. It's such a weapon for your own life and for your devotion to God. So uh, the blueprints for a praying life here. Um, it's really clear. It's really simple. Okay, I will just go through that verse in a very simple way. Just understanding the words that we are reading. It's really clear what the Bible says here. But the, the thing we need to understand is that we are not called to have prayer once in a while in our life, but to live a praying life. Pastor Robbie Simon said that in Oakville, I remember uh, clearly. He said, Prayer is not a suggestion for the Christian life, prayer is the Christian life. And here, I want to give you seven components of a praying life that we find in verse 18. Seven, scary, huh? Seven, seven point, but it's seven un- subpoints because we have a third point after that. So buckle your belt. Are you ready? Seven components of a praying life. Okay. First of all, an imperative: pray. Here in the text is is, is giving all kinds of imperative. Uh, it begins at first um, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and um, No, sorry. It's, uh, excuse me? Yeah, 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. He begins at verse 13 saying, take up this and take up that. And at verse 18, is just continuing. In the Greek, it's the same uh, imperative that is uh, said here. In French, it's translated literally, you need to pray. And here, praying at all times. So the first thing is an imperative. You are called to prayer. You are called to pray. and, And honestly, I'm not really good at counseling people that comes to me when it comes to prayer, because often they come to me and say, Eric, I struggle so much with my prayer life, I don't know what to do, I'm not praying, do you have any advice? I'm just, man, you know what, pray, <laughs> you just do it, you just need to do it at some point, you just need to jump right in and, and pray, just be disciplined and just Doing it, even if you don't feel it, even if you don't uh, have a, a great experience, you just continue and push for it. Just pray, just do it. We spend too much time reading books on prayer, and I'm guilty of that. I read many books on prayer. At the end of the day, after each book, I'm always closing the book saying, I'm just, I just need to do it. I just need to, to get with the Lord and seek His face. We go to conferences. We go to workshops. It's good to do that. It it encourages us. But at the end of the day, we just need to do it. Pray. There's no better lessons in how to pray than throwing yourself at the throne of grace. No better lesson. That's where you grow in your prayer life. We just need to discipline. That's very simple. You see, it's, it's, it's going quickly. Two, a context at all times. Praying at all times. So what is the context of prayer? When is it a good time to pray? When is it a bad time to pray? I know you see where I'm going here. It's really simple. It's always a good time to pray. It's always a good time to pray. You can never say it's a bad time to pray. What's great with prayer is that you can do that without praying out loud. You can pray in your heart. You can do that with keeping your eyes open. There's never been any better time to pray anywhere than today. Because with all the Bluetooth headphones, everybody is like talking to themselves everywhere. <laughs> That's true. So we'll just be like the rest of them. You won't look weird at all. So I'm doing that sometimes. I'm just putting a headphone in my ears and just praying out loud on the streets, anywhere, in your cars. You can, you can, it's so simple. There's never been a better time. We, you are, we are called to pray at all times. We talk about dependency. There's never a wrong time or wrong place to pray. And as a church, we want to be a church that, that pray, that everything is, is just bathed in prayer. There's no, nothing I like more than to come into a church and to, to go to my place and just begin to look around and see brothers and sisters praying there. Brothers and sisters praying there. You just talk with someone. and Why don't we just pray right now? Seeing the the welcome team praying this morning, seeing the the parking lot team uh, praying together before they they show you how to park your car, (laughs) The, the, the worship team praying, prayer, 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 everywhere in the church, every meeting, every place we are, every house group, everything. Leonard Ravenhill said that if we fail here, we fail everywhere. We need to be a church. That praise. Remember, there's never a bad time to pray. And I know some of you feel guilty in your prayer life because you did not take maybe one hour to pray this morning before coming to church. Maybe you feel guilty because you don't have that time. And I believe this time is precious. I do that in my own life. I love to have a time alone with the Lord when there's no one else around and just praying, communing with my God. But some of you are praying all day. Isn't it true for many parents? that we, No? That we, you're just walking around the house and, oh Lord, help me. To be, help me to be patient right now. And you just, it's good. It's good to do that. Maybe in front of the washing machine. Lord, it seems to never be empty. Give me strength right now. We laugh, but it's part of a pray, of, of praying life. You know, students at school. In front of your exam, when you talk with someone, maybe you share the good news of Jesus with someone at school or at work or anywhere. And you're just praying inside, Lord, give me wisdom to answer to to his, his or her questions right now. It's great. We're talking about never hanging up the phone on God. We just continue to seek Him and to talk to Him. And it's powerful. If you're doing that, just continue to do that. It's good. It's good to pray at all times, in all circumstances. You know, sometimes you just talk with someone and the Spirit is just pressing on your heart so hard, telling you, pray for that person, and just thinking, and you know, we are so wise, yeah? We're thinking, yeah, maybe it's not the place or the time. Maybe they will be shy. The real thing is that maybe we will be shy. Just do it. It's never a bad time to pray, never. Thirdly, an inspiration in the Spirit. Praying at all times in the Spirit. Paul just talked in the preceding verse about the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit works mightily with his sword. That is the Word of God. If you want to pray with divine inspiration, open up your Bible and pray God's Word back to him. Just do that. It's the Holy Spirit who inspired the Word of God. If you want to pray with divine inspiration, just pray the word of God back to him. He loves to answer when his children are asking him to fulfill his promises. There's a guy named uh, Gary Miller. He, worked, he, he wrote a, a theological work, a powerful theological work on prayer um, called Calling on the Name of the Lord, a Biblical Theology of Prayer. And in all his study of all the prayers in the Bible, he defines prayer like this. He says, prayer is a calling on God to come through on his promise. That means you just take your Bible. You seek and you search for the prayer, uh, for the promises of God. You just seek what has the Lord promised to do. The Lord has promised to heal us. He has promised to to lead us. He has promised to to make all things just. He has promised so many things to to us. Just open the Bible and praise His promises back to Him. You know, when you do that, you know That the Lord answer those prayers because it's His will. When you pray according to the will of God, He will answer you. When you open the Bible and pray His word back to Him, the Lord hear and He answered. Pray in the Spirit, inspired by the Holy Spirit and by His word. In Romans, Paul also tells us, and we saw that in the, the screen this morning, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we don't know how to pray. So come to Him with that heart also. So God, I have no words. You have no reason to not pray. You can just come to Him and say, Lord, I don't know how to pray. Lord, help me. Holy Spirit, you intercedes for me. Please, help me. You come uh, in the Spirit also. Praying the Spirit means not in the flesh. That means not to satisfy my own desire, my selfish desire. Oh, Lord, make it that when I preach this morning, people will cheer and say, what a great preacher he is. The Lord don't answer that kind of prayers. Lord, do your will and change hearts. Lord, make us a people who seek you with all their hearts. That's the kind of prayer that Lord love to answer. Pray in the spirit with true heart and not coming with like a, a task-oriented way. The Lord loves to answer to His own promises. Number four, freedom with all prayers and supplication. It's really simple here. The Lord is calling us to pray with all prayer and supplication. That, that simply means come to Him and pour, pour out your heart before the Lord. There's all kind of prayer that you can find in the Bible. The way I learned that I was allowed, you know, at some point in my life, I was very fearful, and I, I thought that it was bad to pray uh, like this and just to open my heart to the Lord. And when I began to read to read the Psalms, and I was shocked at how David comes before the Lord sometimes. And when you read the Psalms, you see you see you see something very special. David's heart switch in an instant in his prayer. He just begin to talk to the Lord. He's complaining, oh Lord, you're not present. You're not supporting me and I'm alone and everybody will kill me. I'm done. And in a verse, I'm so thankful, Lord, because you, you rescue me and you take care of me. Like, what's going on, David? It's, but that's what the Lord is doing in our heart when we call out to his name. He changes us. He aligned our heart with his Sometimes we think prayer is the opposite. We think we want to take the the heart of the Lord and and, and align it with us. Lord, do what I want. Why are you not doing what I want? You don't see things as clearly as I do. No, you don't see things as clearly as He do. And when you come to Him with your heart authentic, you just change your heart and align your desire with His. And it's powerful. Just pray the Psalms and it will really help you to know that you can pray in all kinds of prayer and supplication. Number five, urgency. He says, to that end, keep alert. So if you don't see the urgency of prayer already, because of all the, you know, just talking about the opposition and the, the schemes of the devil and all of that, you should be like, okay, I think I need to be on my knees because I cannot stand against that. But he, he pushed a little bit more, saying, "Keep alert! Don't fall asleep. That's the opposite. You know, falling asleep is the opposite of staying alert. Don't let your prayer life go to sleep. It's the worst." Charles Spurgeon again. I love him so much. He said, "He said every time something begins to go wrong in your life and you begin to uh, to go into sin, it started in the prayer closet. Every time. Keep alert." Jesus told his disciple, keep alert and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. But they fell asleep. And we know the rest of the story. They fell into temptation. We need to keep alert. Listen to this this morning. Listen to the Holy Spirit telling you. If there's one thing that you need to protect, if there's one thing on which you need to keep your eyes wide open, not only as an individual but as a church, And your pastors know that. One thing we need to be very careful in the church is to keep alert on prayer. It's to say, we don't want to relax on this thing. We need to be a praying church or we are done. It's sure. It's sure. Number six a passion with all perseverance. Keep alert and push through the hard times. Perseverance. How many things we didn't saw the Lord do in our lives because we just gave up in prayer. There's uh, some people that are really encouraging to my heart. Um, Some friends in Oakville, they are um, older than me and their kids are already adults for some years now, many of them are married now. But um, I talked with one of them one day, his name is uh, Jamie. And he was just telling me that at some point they decided to get together, all the parents, because they they all had children that left the church and left the Lord and said, we don't want to believe in God anymore, We just want to do our lives on our own and, and do our own thing. And the parents were heartbroken and they just decided to get together and begin to pray for the kids. Each one of them. There were like over 10 kids in that group that are prayed for. And they prayed and they prayed. And after some months, one of the, the young guys came back to the Lord, gave his life to Christ. And I had the chance to meet him when, during my time in Oakville. And he was truly changed, involved in new ministry. He got married, I think, last year, still involved in the church. And you know what? In the last two years, almost all of their kids came back to the Lord. There's some left, but they keep praying. What if, that, what if they had given up? They just pushed through and continue to pray. George Mueller was a man of God, a man of prayer. He prayed for five of his friends for over 50 years. During which time, three of them came to the Lord. And he died, and two of them were not saved. But when he died, they held a funeral, and the two, the two men that left gave their life to Christ in that moment. Prayer is powerful. Don't give up. You just don't know what the Lord will do with your prayers. Perseverance. it's a passion. We refuse to say, "It's all right. I give up." And number seven, a responsibility for all the saints. The last component of a praying life is a responsibility. Paul ends up by saying, we need to be praying for all the saints. Why is that so important? Because he will say in Romans um, 12, verse 5, that as Christians, we are part of a body. We are all one in Jesus Christ. And the least we can do for the other members of that body is to pray for them. It's kind of ironic because... It's the least we can do, but it's truly the best we can do. There's nothing you can do better than, than pray for someone you love. Nothing. It's a real proof that you love someone as a child of God to bring his name before the throne of grace. To call to the Lord, to move in his life. Paul is just asking them even in verse 19 and 20. He says, pray also for me. What, Paul? You, the great preacher, you planted many churches, you have such a ministry, you, Paul, who, who, who taught us how to pray, you need prayers? Yes, I'm part of the body like anybody else. The best thing you can do for your pastor and his family, is it's great if you invite them for supper or something like that. It's great if you give them gift. do that. But the best thing you can do for them is to pray for them. There's nothing that blesses me more as a pastor to have the people around me, people from the church texting me at some point. Hey, you know what? Tonight we just decided to pray for you. Yes, Lord. I need that so much. It's so hard to be on the front line all the time. We know how the church is affected when a man of God falls. We know how the church is affected when a man of God is struggling or decide to give up on ministry. Pray for your pastor. Please pray for him. Pray for his family. That he will serve you with a glad heart as they are now doing. A responsibility. It's the best thing we can do. You see, the blueprints of a praying life can be memorized so easily. You just remember that verse and you know how to live your life as a praying man or a praying woman. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Making supplication for all the saints. Learn that verse, it's crucial. I want to end with one last thing. And it's a praying life's power. With prayer, we have hope. I wrote verse 19 and 20 here. We see Paul, was saying, And pray also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And you will heard about that uh, maybe next time in, in evangelism, courageous evangelism. Uh, but the heart behind it is just to see that Paul is praying for him. He's asking prayers for himself, but it's not really for himself. He's praying that he will be able to preach the word of God boldly as he ought to. Why? So that God will be glorified in the salvation of the lost. He's thinking about, he has a kingdom-minded kind of uh, prayer request. Pray for me so that more people will come to faith. And It's always been like this. Our prayer life must, mo- uh, must extend to all the nation of the world. The praying life's power is not just for us. When we pray, when we get together uh, to pray, we must have that in mind. That there's so much more that can be done in our city and in our world right now. That is not done because people have given out on prayer. I remember also Pastor Robbie again uh, teaching in Oakville saying what his father taught him as a kid. He says, you got to know when you got it good. Church, you have it good here. It's a blessing what is going on in this church. Yes, don't take it for granted, but run through the throne of grace and ask the Lord to save more people. Don't be satisfied with what you see right now. There's many people, thousands of people that need to hear the gospel in this city alone. Ask the Lord, Lord, do something. You know, I just finished a book on the history of the church. And every time I read a book on the history of the church or hear a message about it, the same thing comes back again and again and again. When you see revivals, when you see a great mighty word of the Lord in a city, in a country, it always comes back to the same thing. A going back to the supremacy of the authority of scriptures and a going back to fervent prayer. There is always prayer. You cannot find it. Let Try to find a revival where prayer is not the main factor. You won't find it. It never happened. Just think about that for a minute. Nothing of great significance for the Lord and his kingdom has never been accomplished without a particular passion and fervency in prayer. Just think about Martin Luther, who led the, the, the reformation of the church 500 years ago. We all know him for his great understanding of Scripture. We all know him for his great mind. We all know him for being so strong in standing firm in the truth in front of all afflictions. But this man was a man of fervent prayer. Either way, he, he, he will not have been able to do all the rest. Himself said... I have so much to do this morning. I have so much to do today that I need to spend at least three hours in prayer. That's a man who is fervent in prayer. Think about the great Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, whom the Lord used mightily to do a revival in his time also. Many people, thousands of people came to the Lord through his ministry. His sermons are still the, the most read sermon to this day. But he was a man of prayer standing on the pulpit, preaching the word of God. Sometimes it was just doing like that. And people were like, what's happening with Mr. Spurgeon? Do we have a stress stick or something? Is, and someone asked him the question. He said, no, I have a prayer team in the basement <laughs> every time I preach the word of God. And when I feel like the, nothing is happening in the room, I just knock on the ground to tell them to pray louder. D.L. Moody, this great evangelist, came to visit him in London one day to hear the great Charles Spurgeon preaching. He came to him. He heard him preach. He came back home in Chicago, and one of his friends asked him, Mr. Moody, it must have been so great to hear the great Charles Spurgeon preach. He said, yes, it it was something. But I had a greater privilege. I heard him pray. Powerful. Those men were men of prayer. Nothing happened of great significance without prayer. I can go back to October 2015, four years ago, in John McMullen's living room, where I met my friend, Pastor Ray Kaprowski, for the first time in my life. And he was on the ground, face down, praying and interceding for seeing a church being planted in this city. Look what the Lord had done. He's a wise man, but it's not because he's wise that all of this is happening. It's because of fervent prayer. If we look at history and we look at all of this and we see that it's impossible without prayer, how can we begin to think that it will be any different with any of us? And what's ahead? We need to go back to the primacy. Of prayer in our life. Verse 18 is truly the answer to verse 10. When Paul said. Be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might. It's only through prayer that it's possible. Either way you will be strong in your own strength. And it will lead you you nowhere. But you can be strong in the Lord. If you are dependent upon him in prayer. Prayer. I'm closing with this old hymn. My time is over already. And I just want to read these words for you. I read that this week and I was just so blessed. You know what? I don't even know how you're supposed to sing that. (laughs) It's an hymn written by James Montgomery in the 1800s that goes like this. But it it just summarizes the prayer life or the, the, the Christian having a praying life. And it goes like this. It says, Prayer is the Christian's vital breath the Christian's native air, His watchword at the gates of death he enters heaven with prayer. The saints in prayer appear as one in word, in deed, and mind, while with the Father and the Son sweet fellowship they find. No prayer is made on earth alone. The Holy Spirit pleads, and Jesus on the eternal throne for sinners intercedes. Hold thy by whom we came to God, the life, the truth, the way, the path of prayer thyself hath trod. Lord, teach us how to pray. Let us continue to be a people that seek the Lord, a praying people that continually ask the Lord, teach us how to pray. And let's do just that right now as the worship team comes up. Please, please don't listen to my prayer, but just pray with me. Bow your head and pray and ask the Lord, Lord, make me a praying person. God, we come before you once again humbled. Because when we, when we just look at the powers that are against us, And when we look at the possibility that are ahead of of us, just the the thing you, you can do, Lord, our hearts are stirred up in prayer. Father, there's many people in this city that don't know you. There's many people in this city that never heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are living in the... Evil day, that's true. But we know we have victory in Christ Jesus. We know at the end, evil will be completely absent, defeated. Their presence will not even be. But right now, it's still a battle. And Father, we need you. We need you. We need you. We cannot fight this fight on our own. We cannot be strong on our own. We need you to fight the Christian fight, to walk the Christian walk. This morning, I, I plead before you for the church here in Ottawa. Please, Lord, keep this church alert in prayer. Keep this church pushing forward, persevering in seeking your face in knowing that nothing of great significance will ever happen apart from seeking you. You're the only one who can do it. We have no strength in our own. Please, Lord, keep us dependent. I pray that we will not just understand this as a command or something we must do, but I pray for affections that just rising in the heart of many. Love, deep love for you. For your glory, Lord, always, in Jesus' name.